This is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel, and today I am actually without a co-host. Um, we had, unfortunately, a situation. Amber has been extremely sick, and this has caused us to miss some recording time, which I'm sure in times like these we can all understand life happens. And so we did not want our listeners to go without content for an entire week. What we came up with is that this week for our Sunday and Thursday releases, you guys are going to get what is typically bonus content given to our Patreons only. So if during the episode you hear us referring to our Patreons and things like that, it's because these are this week, these are episodes that um, already dropped many months ago to our lovely Patreons. And when Amber is back up and running again, um, which we anticipate she is on the mend, so hopefully that will happen very soon, we will be back to normal around here. So we hope that this week you guys enjoy these bonus episodes. And if you are curious about becoming a Patreon so that you can get bonus content as well, and um, we're working right now on releasing a merch line and our Patreons will get discounts on that and some free merch. So head on over to crimecurious at patreon.com and check out the different membership levels there. Um, they're very reasonable and we really appreciate all the help that our Patreons give us because that's what keeps us on the air. We do not uh, get paid to do this, so that helps cover our cost for research and our equipment and for our um, hosting platform that charges us each month to distribute to everyone. So yeah, it's a little bit about that, but hope you guys enjoy these episodes. It's really weird to be in the studio talking to myself and not looking at my beautiful co-host, so we wish her well. Like I said, she is on the men now, but she went through um, some pretty serious illness, and so hopefully very soon we will be back to our regular crime curious duo. But in the meantime, enjoy this episode. It is about a school bus kidnapping, as a matter of fact. So it happened in the 70s, and I think you guys will really enjoy it. So yeah, you get just a little teaser sneak peek on what what it's like to be a Patreon this week. So enjoy. Have a great week, everyone. Hello, our lovely Patreons. Hello. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And you're listening to this because you have financially supported our podcast and we are so so grateful thank you so much so we're gonna toss you an extra episode today i'm excited about it myself i, I threw it together i don't think you've heard of it before some may have but it's it's a good one and i'm gonna say this right from the beginning because it could be one of those episodes where you're like waiting for the hammer to drop and you don't want to know the truth but i'll just say this has a good ending oh Okay, I'm gonna well, even better. I'm gonna throw that out there because I feel like it gets real intense to where you're like you're gonna be taken to a low, and sometimes people have a hard time coming back from being mm-hmm. low. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to do that to you, so just hang on. It's it gets it's a better. Good one. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
This is the case of the school bus kidnapping of 1976. Ever heard of it? I don't think. uh, This is a new one for me. All right. It took place in Chowchilla, California. It's known as the school bus kidnapping of 1976 because there's no other creative name for it. Mm. And it happened the day before the final day of summer school on July 15th. 76. Okay, so these kids were in summer school, and this is the day before their very last day. Okay. 26 children boarded the school bus to be driven home. They were between the ages of 5 and 14, and their bus driver was Edward Ray, or better known as Ed. Okay. He was a farmer, but then later became a bus driver. Oh, I I had one of those too. Did you? Yes, growing up. He is seriously just an all-around good American guy. Yeah, my bus driver, Bob, he was a farmer and he drove bus, driver bus on the Bob. side. Yeah. That is the best name Isn't ever. it? For, for a bus driver, could yeah. you think of a better name? Uh-uh. Bus I driver don't think Bob. so. Nope. So this is, this is bus driver Ed, and okay. he's amazing. We love him. The children adored him. He loved the kids. He was an excellent school bus driver. It takes a special person. Oh, for sure. It does. Lots of stuff happens on the bus. Yes. So a couple of reports actually said that the kids enjoyed the summer school so much that they all wanted it to last for two more weeks. And they created this little petition to try to get it to last two Uh more weeks. How great is that? Like, first of all, you they're basically felt like they were in like a summer day, day camp. Okay. Instead of actual summer school. Uh But then they've got this great bus driver who made things fun for them when they were driving home. Riding times were good. Yeah. Yeah. Things things were. So here the kids are loving summer school, loving their bus driver on their way home. And the bus was on a rural road. Rural road. Rural. Rural road. (laughs) Yep. Could you please say that with the the head shake for now? Rural. Rural. (laughs) I will. And all the all of a sudden, there is a white van parked kind of sideways Not a white van. Road. God damn it, but the white oh, vans. I can't handle the white vans. Never. You know what my kids call white vans when, when we're driving down the road? They're like, hey, there's a candy van. Mm. Yeah, and it's like it is. so true. It is what There's it some is. creeper trying to get little kids into it with candy. Yep. Nothing good comes from creeper candy they, vans. They don't. So, of course, it had to be a fucking white van, and it's blocking the way. So what Ed does is he tries to maneuver the van, or excuse me, maneuver the bus around the van. And he notices that the hood was up. And because Ed is a good old sweet American man, yep, he stops briefly and opens up his little window that bus oh, drivers yeah, have like there. like the Like yeah. the push out? Yeah, yes. good noise. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So he opens it up, asks if anyone needs help. And I'm just going to say it, Ed. Don't offer no, help. Ed. No. They need help. They're going to go get help, buddy. You don't need to ask them if they need help and stop that bus. But he did. And this is why I'm not a helpful person, by the way. Because, you know, murder. Same. So, as he was offering help, three men entered the bus <gasps> with sawed-off shotguns and pantyhose over their heads. This is, like, the things of my nightmares. Yeah. Sawed-off shotguns and fucking pantyhose over their heads. Which... Come on, pantyhose. You could have done that. Spring for a ski mask. Yeah. (laughs) Or a beanie pulled down with the eyes slits cut open. Right? Or something. But pantyhose. Your mother's pantyhose. Yeah, they probably were. For sure. Used. (laughs) Right. Smells like your mom's and your grandma's ass. And you have just thrown (laughs) it it on your head. Over your face to point guns at babies and bus driver head. Oh, my gosh. Yep. 
Ed, why did you stop? I know. The men, I use that term more loosely, the assholes mm. who were wearing their grandma's panties hose mm-hmm. over their heads were 24-year-old Fred Woods, or as he was born, Frederick Newhall Woods the Fourth. Oh, so there's a generation of them. Yes. Lucky us. And two of his friends, they were actually brothers as well. Mm -hmm. James, 24, and Richard, 22, Schoenfeld. Okay. Those are the three asshats. All three are rich little punk bitches. You heard that right. They are rich. (sighs) Rich. So what the hell are you doing with sawed-off shotguns, granny's panties on your face, and holding this bus hostage, essentially? Spoiled and bored? Yeah. Fred had a fucking trust fund worth over a hundred million. Oh my god! Waiting for him, and Fred was the little bitch ringleader. Wow! Okay, in all of this, okay, the trust fund baby was the ringleader. So, this broke my heart. Monica was the youngest; she was five years old, and with the way that they were wearing the pantyhose, the legs were like running down the side of these idiots' heads. Mm-hmm. So she asked one of them if he was the Easter Bunny. <gasps> oh. He, she thought the Easter Bunny was on the bus holding a shotgun to them. <sighs> My soul just left. I know. It's <sighs> gone. I feel like they are like a rare toe fungus that you can only get rid of with amputation. Mm. Like, that's, like a gangrene type of. Yeah, that's who they are right now. What they did was they demanded for Ed to go to the back of the bus while they were screaming at the kids that they needed to follow their orders. One survivor stated, um, her name's Jennifer, she was Jennifer Brown at the time, she's now Jennifer Hyde. She stated, Ed kept telling the kids just to be quiet, to sit down, do what they say. He was speaking in a harsh tone and that normally was not the Edward that we knew and loved. So the kids knew, we, it's, this is This serious. is real. Mm-hmm. One dude drove the bus while another kept the kids at gunpoint and, well, and Ed, of course. And the third followed in the white, creepy candy van. Mm. Jennifer Brown said eventually the bus went off the road down into a dry riverbed through a bamboo field. And another survival survivor, he was six at the time, Larry Park, said that they drove him into this big grove of bamboo and the bamboo was taller than the bus, which was really creepy to them, mm-hmm. you know. And it was a really, really harsh ride. They were being bounced all over oh, the I place. Now we're off-roading with a freaking school yeah, bus. Yeah, with a bus. Right. When it did finally stop, there was another van waiting, and this one was green. It was a green van. They backed the van up to the bus and made half the children exit into the green van and made the other half and Ed exit into the other, the white van that was following them. Um, they did this so that there were no footprints. Oh my gosh. Okay. Which I find funny because, hey, idiots, you're still living tire tracks. Yeah. Through like the, you don't have footprints to get ride. to the van, but you're leaving tire tracks. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Hyde said that she was separated from her brother, Jeff, who was also on the bus. Mm-hmm. And that caused her the most distress because she just kept crying and wanted her brother. Oh. The vans had brown paneling, which, God, we of all have had did. that paneling. Yeah. You know, I'm pretty sure it took over the world, actually. But <laughs> it, um, did. it did for a while. Did. Everything was brown yes. paneling. The windows in the van were completely blacked out. So one Larry Parker, again, said that the only way he could describe it was it was so dark in those vans 
that it felt like the darkness was trying to get him. Mm. How scary is that? It was also a hundred degree day. Oh, of course. Because <laughs> here we are in California in July, people. So they drove them for freaking 11 hours straight. Oh my gosh. No water, no bathroom breaks. The kids are crying, vomiting from heat stroke, urinating. They are just Ugh, stuck in these horrible. tiny vans. And it would have had, I would imagine that had to have smelled like Satan's ball sack up in oh, there. Oh, for sure. Like, for sure. You know is not good. That's got to be struggling too. Yeah. Like. Yes. <sighs> yeah, because he's just trying to keep them calm. Jennifer Hyde said that she completely felt like she was an animal going to the slaughterhouse. Now, at this point, we have a whole school bus of children and Ed missing. I'm hoping somebody's, like, mm-hmm. caught on by yes. now. Yep. The parents are are obviously freaking out when they discover that Ed never dropped their children off from school. Good on them that the FBI got involved, like, right away. Like, there's there's no school bus. There's no, you yeah. know, not a single kid on his route had been dropped off. Like, there is, this is suspicious. And I feel bad because I wonder how many people thought that Ed had lost his marbles. Oh, you yeah. Know? Blaming and, Ed. Like, yeah. Oh, he kidnapped drove off. these kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just before sunset, the police pilot, because they had they put in a, a helicopter in the air, spotted the bus about seven miles outside of Chowchilla, hidden in the dry river bamboo oh, okay. riverbed. Mm-hmm. The abandoned bus is found. And now remember, think about it. They were supposed to be dropped off after school. It was found just before sunset. So mm-hmm. the kids are long gone at this point in time, by the time the bus is found. Mm-hmm. They never would have found the bus if they hadn't done an air search. They had hid the bus in that bamboo field so well that it, it took the air search to be able to find it. Well, I'm so glad they did one. Yeah, me too. So they saw the tire tracks moving away from the bus, and it was obvious that there was no footprints and that they had two other you know, vehicles that were pulling away from the bus. So they're like, okay, we've got two. Didn't take them long no. to figure that one out. Yep. <laughs> Meanwhile, the children are literally living in a nightmare. Ed and the older children, although they were terrified themselves, were stepping up to try to console the younger children. Mm. The oldest child was Michael Marshall. He was 14 at the time. And I have a 14-year-old currently, and I the things that Michael ends up doing, I really hope that I am raising children that would do something like this someday, but... As I watched my 14-year-old on vacation struggle to learn how to use a different toaster, I'm not <laughs> Doubt crept into your mind. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. So Ed was singing them songs like Boogie Nights, The Wheels on the Bus. We just which, love us some Ed. You know? Oh. And then if you're happy and you know Boogie it. Boogie Nights, I like Boogie Nights. <laughs> I like Good it. Ed. <laughs> but they, it's like, I got nothing. Boogie Nights, it is good. Right. But he changed the um, words to if you're happy and you know it to if you're sad and you know it. Clap oh, your hands. He's like, identifying their feelings. Yes. Very this therapeutic. Man. Ever. Man. Nice job. It's so true. <laughs> Thank you. Larry Park said, I remember that I kept falling asleep and coming back awake. I would dream. I would dream about being up in the forest where my family would go camping. Oh. Isn't that sweet? And then he'd wake up to the hell that he was living. Satan's ball sack. Yes. Wake up in Satan's ball sack. Damn it. In a pair of three-day-old whitey tighties. Yeah. Yes, that is that's <laughs> that's definitely what they were going through. What Satan is rocking, yeah. for sure. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
there is a shit yellow streak. Tint. It's a yellow tint. tinted, and there's a shit streak that he didn't even care to try to wipe up. Yeah, oh, that's, I'm crying. That's what's going on. Oh, I'm crying in Satan's nether. Yes. yes, we've really painted a picture of what these oh, vans yeah. were like. Yep. <laughs> so, um the the vans are driven off the road. So once again, they get subject to this bumpy ass ride <sighs> where they're flying oh, all over the kids. place, which. I'm sorry, but if you've ever been jerked around by a bumpy road before, they're hitting their heads. Oh, they for sure. are running into each too. other. Yeah. So they would what after the vans came to a stop, these idiots would take a child out one by one. They'd open the van door, they'd grab a kid, they'd shut the door. And they couldn't hear what was happening on the outside. Oh my god. And gosh. they did this one by one until every last child was out of the van. So as they're just sitting there waiting, they don't know what's they happening. Don't know what's ha- oh my yeah. gosh, that is horrifying. Just opening the door, snatching a kid, shutting it again. So they're st- so they're in the same place like the vans have stopped. Yes, the vans and they're have taking stopped. the kids out one yep, by one. One okay. by one. What was happening on the outside was one man asked their name, another man asked their age, and then another asked their address. Then they would take a piece of clothing from each of the victims. The younger children were clinging to Michael, the 14-year-old, in his van. Mm-hmm. And he was actually holding the youngest, Monica, that I mentioned earlier. And it came down to the last two people in his van were him and Monica. And he said in an interview with CBS News that he couldn't bear to like watch them take her. So when it came their time and they opened the door again, he pushed Monica behind him so that... Aww he could be taken before her and he said i had to take her hands from mine and rip tear them apart say it would be okay and then go with them and leave her that was hard end quote yeah i'd say that is so heartbreaking yeah they were what they did was they forced them after they asked them those questions and they took an article of clothing Mm -hmm. they forced them down into a hole in the ground Mm -hmm. oh my gosh jennifer hyde says about this They had a wooden ladder down into a hole in the ground. And then I remember them telling me, you need to climb down there. You need to go down there. And I thought, oh, they're sending us to hell. I didn't know where we were going. Down underground, Jennifer found herself in an old truck trailer. In fact, the kidnappers had buried it. Ed Ray and the rest of the children from from her van were in there, too. She said that she's just, they've, everybody's always just referred to it as the hole. Mm-hmm. So these freaking idiots had pre-planned this so much that they buried, like, a, there's, there's pictures of it, and some people call it a van, like a moving van. Mm-hmm. Others are saying truck trailer. It was really long. It was like a semi-truck trailer, but not as, not quite as long as that. So they had buried it, but to put, it's like, the, so the, they were putting the kids in it underground yes it was the chair i promise (laughs) sure sure we hear that a lot Mm -hmm. it's becoming a thing Uh, lay off the cheese amber (laughs) can't stop won't stop (laughs) they had buried like if you picture a semi-truck trailer but it wasn't quite as tall it wasn't quite as long but it did have like the lat like an open closed latch at the end of it of course that part's buried yeah but they had buried this underground and then they had put put a hole in the top of it to put the kids to, in. to be able oh to get gosh. them down in there. Okay, I guess I'm just and there's waiting. even a ladder. Like there is a ladder 
so wow. they can walk all the way down into this trailer. I'm so okay. curious to figure out what the what hell the, the motive was. Right. Exactly. Like, why? Why this elaborate scheme? Yes. Yep. We'll get there. Okay. So it's tw- this semi-truck trailer thing was 12 feet underground. Wow. 12 This is a feet. lot of work mm-hmm. to be such freaking morons. Yep. Now, um... Michael Marshall said, as soon as I got on that ladder and took a step down and I heard the rest of the kids say, it's Mike, it's Mikey. And I realized everyone was still alive. Oh, they're like, that. he's like the hero. Yeah, they were all together again. And he was like, we're okay. We're okay. We're okay. So right now, so far, they're we're still safe. Okay. We're okay. Mm-hmm. Before they knew it, Jennifer Brown, uh, I'm going to start it again. Jennifer Brown quoted, before I knew it, the ladder was gone. They threw a roll of toilet toilet paper down and said, we'll be back for you. And that was it. Which I just want to say, wow, a whole roll of toilet paper for 27 people. How gracious of yeah, you. Yeah, how kind of you. I guess they can pre-plan a kidnapping, but they can't do basic math because that's not enough squares on a roll of TP for that many people. It is not. No. It's nope. like, here, take... Go ahead and go to the bathroom in this truck thing, but you can wipe. Yep. Because we're going to be nice. They they put two boxes. If you can picture a very primitive, uh, at each end of this trailer, there was a makeshift porta potty, which really was just a wooden seat, like boxed in, mm-hmm. like seat that you could sit on. Just like picture, you know, the seat of a porta potty mm-hmm. connected to each end of the trailer. I mean, it didn't go. It's not, it didn't go underground or anything. It, was it just, just the went seat. to the bottom of the trailer. So I mean, oh it, my God. they can sit there and it'll keep them from trudging through their own urine and feces. But it still reeks. Right. It still smells like Satan's ball sack because yes. there's it's no. It's not going anywhere. No, it's not going anywhere, and it's just in a hole. You know. The um, things that they thought of this. This this is just so crazy. They put mattresses down there, and they put enough food for each of them to have one meal wow Mm -hmm. they put the over the covering where they had entered the trailer they once everyone was in there they covered it with a manhole cover and then put two truck batteries over the manhole cover so that it couldn't be moved and michael marshall said i remember it just went dark and then you just hear the material the dirt the gravel getting thrown on us they were burying us alive Oh, my gosh. And they all believed that that's how they were going to die. Can you imagine? Like, if you're claustrophobic, this is probably really freaking you out. But that that, would be... they were 100% 12 feet underground being buried alive and mm-hmm. could hear it. Mm-hmm. Could hear these assholes burying them alive. Oh. So what Ed does is told them that they all needed to get some rest. They did try to push the against the manhole cover. They, you know, they stacked up the mattresses. They tried, but they've mm-hmm. got two big truck batteries and now dirt. Yeah, on top of it, right? So they couldn't get. They could no. It. it was no use, and so Ed is like, "We've got to rest." This has been as the hours ticked by. There were times that people would be really calm, and then all of a sudden, one person would start crying, and then the others would burst into tears. Aww. Ed said later that there was a lot of cries for Mama, oh. which oh, yeah. oh God, as a mom especially, and like. Oh, it's so sad. Michael Marshall said to CBS News, the thing that made me cry was not being able to say goodbye to my mom. And I'm remembering the last time that I saw her and wishing that I could have told her goodbye. 
I, I'm not gonna cry. I know everything Me turns too. out okay, and I'm like, that was hard to say. We well, see this so much though with uh, cases like the that in those desperate moments, they yes. always want their mom. Yep, always exactly. Gosh, I'm gonna cry in this one too. I can't uh, even handle it. I know the kids still are having like stress and heat stroke effects on their body because there were ventilation fans, but they stopped working at some point. Because the fans, the ventilation fans were run on batteries and the freaking batteries died. Like, you didn't think about that? So after 12 hours, give or take, in the hole had went by. The food was gone. They had gotten some rest. And now they all decided, if we're going to die, we're going to die trying. Mm -hmm. So the roof had actually started to bow in from the weight of the earth on it. They could hear it creaking and starting to that cave in. That is so in. scary. Mm-hmm. So this, of course, brought panic and like, okay, like some sort of urgency of we're going to, this is going to cave in on us and kill mm-hmm. us anyway. So we've got to do something. Mm-hmm. Good for them. Yes. So they stack the mat, keep the mattresses stacked and they try to, to move the cover again. The kids were actually like, what would happen is the older kids. So Michael, Ed, they're all taking turns just trying to move this manhole cover they're trying for hours. They are sweating. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, having, exhausted, I'm um, sure. Absolutely. And uh, Michael had actually said later that they were cheering him on. Like, yeah, come on, Michael, you Aww. can do it. And they were all like supporting anybody who was up there trying to move that. When all of a sudden one of the younger kids says, it's moving. I see it moving. Now, they were able to get the manhole cover like moved with these batteries mm-hmm. off it. Okay. But there was a wooden box that was over the hole. If you can picture, just picture a manhole in, you know, in the ground, mm-hmm. essentially. So there's a wooden box that is, that's over the hole surrounding the manhole cover. And outside of that box was just dirt. They had buried, you know, all of it. Mm-hmm. So Michael was really the only one who could fit into the box space, you know, and was big enough to be able to dig through the earth. So that's what he did. He just kept digging and digging and digging through the dirt, literally digging his way out of his own grave. Oh, my gosh. And Larry Park said he was six. Remember, he was six at the time. It told CBS News. Then suddenly this ray of sunlight, <gasps> this ray of sunlight came down into the opening, and it was catching the dust, and the dust particles looked like a bunch of shooting stars. Aww. There was this airflow that came into the van, and I knew we were free. Oh like, could you gosh. imagine? They're just... Michael is just digging them out of the hole. So he was the first to actually crawl out of the actual hole. And keep in mind that they have no idea what's waiting for them on the outside. Oh, yeah. Like, is someone going to shoot them? I mean, mm-hmm. these these men had guns pointed at them the whole time. So this 14-year-old boy goes first. Mm. How brave. I know. And he said, he reported back, like, all he could see were big hills and trees. From the outside, the... Um, so from like a a bystander just looking at, you know, from the outside in with the exception of like this kid crawling out of the earth, Mm -hmm. literally the buried like trailer thing just looked like a big sand dune. No one would have known what was below there. That's, that's what it looked like. It was approximately 8 PM on July 16th. Remember this all started on July 15th. Yes. When Ed Ray and the children emerged, they had been in that hole for in the hole itself for nearly 16 hours oh my gosh you know the whole ordeal started the day before uh-huh. but just their time in the hole was nearly 16 Can you hours ma- imagine being a bystander and you all, all of a sudden see these people crawling out oh of they the do earth. hold on yeah. Oh, okay. oh yeah 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 <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> so Jennifer Hyde says, we all just scurried like a bunch of little mice and we heard some noises, some machinery and equipment. And then we thought, oh my God, what if it's them? What if they're going, what if we're going right to the men that took us? But they felt that they had no choice. So Ed just walked them all. They started walking towards the equipment and they saw like conveyor belts and excavators and large machinery. She said it looked like the Flintstones. That's how a kid's mind would put Mm -hmm. it into perspective. And all these men had hard hats and they came to us like, who are you? And Ed said, we're from Cho Chilla and we're lost. And one, let it cry. One of the construction construction workers replied to Ed, "The world has been looking for you." Oh, isn't that uh, like crazy? There, 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 there I go. There I go. There, yep, I go. there it is. Yep. I just feel like that is like a movie worthy line right for there, sure. just to be told, "The oh world has gosh. been looking for you." The kidnappers had buried them in a rock quarry in Livermore, California, a hundred miles away from Chowchilla. When police arrived. As evidence, they took photos of every child. Then they transported them to the closest place that could hold all of them together, uh-huh. the San- the Santa Rita Rehabilitation Center, a local jail. Oh, gosh, these poor so kids. So these kids were like, oh, my God, they're taking us to jail. Right? What did we do? Yes, yes. They put them in all these, like, little coverall things. There's pictures of them. I have a lot of pictures that I can post in our Facebook group so everybody can see. They're, they're in, like, these these prison, like, coveralls. And they let, like, the boys were in, like, these um, you almost uniform things. Like, they were heroes, you oh. know, like, in a prison. Not a prison uniform as in a jail. Like, a, uh-huh. like, like what the officers would wear. Oh, that's with, so Like, cute. the patches and stuff. They, she's like, we had to roll the pants about 10 feet and we rolled the arms up. So we're just sitting that they're just sitting there and they're like oh can we fly because they're so big uh-huh. you know and they fed them apple juice and some some fruit and you know just whatever they could get their hands on they they fed them over the next few hours edward ray and the children were examined by doctors they were questioned by police and really they could only they couldn't tell them a whole lot about the kidnappers i mean they all they, they had could pantyhose say, on their for heads. sure like they're wearing granny pantyhose on their heads uh-huh. and looked like the easter bunny essentially to some of them you know so they were put on a Greyhound bus and they were escorted back to Chowchilla. Because remember, they're 11 hours away. Yeah. Well, I should say they were driven around in that van for 11 hours. They're 100 miles away from Chowchilla. Uh-huh. Finally, 36 hours after the ordeal began, these babies were released into their parents' waiting arms. Reporters were everywhere asking them questions, but the kids just wanted to be with their parents, oh, of bet. course. Some were like, how does it feel to be a big movie star? And Jennifer Brown was like, I don't know. I've never been a movie star before. <laughs> I want to go home. <laughs> I thought that was cute. Larry Park said that he just, his mom, he ran into his mom's arms and he, um, she picked him up and he just said, hi, mom. And then immediately fell asleep on her oh, shoulder. Oh, I bet absolute exhaustion mm-hmm. and now he's like comforted he's by mom yep he's oh. safe he saw us he's to his mom oh, we're both like falling I'm here. A mess. i know <laughs> we do it's because we're moms and we can't yes. imagine the fear that these parents went through for all this amount of time expecting the worst and oh, then yeah now your baby's in your arms and it's just they're so comforted by you that immediately they're safe and they fall asleep mm-hmm. yeah that that plus i don't know that they would have been found no if no if Michael hadn't... I don't think so at all, because you'll find out what the fucking kidnappers were actually doing. The kids suffered from this experience, and many talked to the news about nightmares that they had. Larry Park said, one night I was dreaming that I was falling down a hole and I was trying to get out. I started to scream for my mom. My mom came in, and all I could do was cry. 
and all she could do was hold me. There was nothing, nothing more than could be done. In the days following the kids' escape, investigators searched the rock quarry in the van that had been left underground, that had been their underground tomb, hoping that they would find clues that would lead them to the kidnappers. The prosecutor, Jill Kling, said they looked to see who had ha- who would have keys to the quarry because that's where they were buried, in a quarry. Okay. In order to have access to bury this moving container undetected. You would have to have access. Okay. I mean, think about it. Yeah. You would have to have big machinery, access to that big machinery to get a whole trailer buried underground unnoticed. Fred Woods had keys to that quarry because he was the son of the owner of the quarry. And he immediately became a person of interest. So you used your dad's business, dude? Not Frederick cool. Newell Newhall Woods the fourth. Not cool. You use your dad's. So that's how he, how they targeted mm-hmm. him. Yep. Then they looked at the ledger, surveillance tapes, and started to put it all together at that point. So they weren't too bright here. No. Security, security guards told investigators that they had seen three young men digging a large hole in the quarry months before the kidnapping. One of them said that one of the kids was Fred Woods. And Woods had a record. Two years earlier, he had been charged with grand theft auto been arrested with him were his two friends james schoenfield which was fred's partner in a used car business that he had and james's younger brother richard schoenfeld i've said field earlier i meant feld all three were from wealthy families who lived in san francisco's nicest suburbs they escaped with a fine and probation from their two-year earlier charge oh, okay of okay. grand theft auto yep so now they're like Okay, we know Fred Woods was there building this hole in his dad's quarry. Mm-hmm. We're betting it was the other two people were probably James and Richard, his little I'm gonna, cronies. I'm going to say mm-hmm. probably. Yep. So the prosecutor was like, listen, they're young, they're white, they're wealthy. I think it added a component of fascination to the story because it was so unlikely that three men such as these would commit such an atrocious crime. And I, yeah, I get it. I just can't wrap my brain around the reasoning here. We'll get to it in a second. But they executed a search warrant on Fred Woods' father's estate. Okay. They were able to recover one of the guns that was used during the kidnapping. All kinds of stuff. The, the They figured out that the crime was planned out for a year and a half in intricate detail. Oh, my gosh. They actually had a document labeled plan. <laughs> Written in crayon. (laughs) Super creative and stealthy. (laughs) Yep. And plan. Plan. And it's like on Toy Story, like the A is backwards. Yes. (laughs) Probably what it is. Misspelled the first time and crossed out. Yep. That's, I'm, I'm picturing it. Yep. They put in detail how they're going to commit the kidnapping and... So they they had it, like, broken down, like, on the right side, how they're going to do something, and on the left side, how they would compensate or deal with what could go wrong. Oh, my God. But they're building their own little algorithms uh-huh. for, if this happens, we do this, if that, you know. Lots of brainstorming going they, on. They also recovered a draft of a ransom note. The draft of the ransom note says $2.5 million, but in actuality, they were going to ask for $5 million from the state of, of California. But they were never able to deliver their demand. They tried to call the Chichawa, the Chowchilla Police Department, 
But because of the number of calls that were coming in, because of the missing children, the phone lines were fucking jammed. So they couldn't get through. So they couldn't do their ransom plan. They couldn't do their ransom plan. It went wrong from step one. Oh my gosh. Yup. So you know what they did instead? Took a nap. They went to sleep, Amber. By the time they woke up, they saw on the news that the kids had been found. I was just going to say, I bet they were soiling their rich britches when they found out those kids had gotten out. The kids had escaped. They were never able to request the ransom. They were like, well, we took a nap and (laughs) now they're gone. Woke woke up and... Oh my God, these people are morons. Absolutely. And they put these poor children through. And Ed. And Ed. So much trauma. So the search was on for these three men pretty quickly. Good. Okay. Arrest warrants were issued. Richard Schoenenfeld turned himself in. Fred Woods and James Schoenenfeld fled California, but not for long. Um, I, I was kind of thinking they, they were probably, caught. yeah, yep. they're not too bright. They, so. weren't, they were caught. Now, hoping that the children could identify the kidnappers by their voices, the suspects were put into video lineups and asked to recreate repeat phrases that the kidnappers had used so like get get to the back of the bus be quiet so basically and they were able to identify them and that's how they you know like bam 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 Mm -hmm. so what what drove these young seemingly well-off men to kidnap children for money you're probably asking very much so james schoenenfeld eventually said despite their parents wealth he and Fred Woods were in serious debt because they had a used car business together. Oh. So they got into into debt. We needed multiple victims to get multiple millions. And we picked children because children are precious. The state would be willing to pay ransom for them. And they don't fight back. <sighs> Fucking toe fungus. Wow. <laughs> yep. And they thought this would just be like no big deal. Yeah. They'd get the millions. Yeah. You think the state's just going to give you millions and you're going to get away with it. Okay. So they planned this for a year and, and a half, half. Mm-hmm. and dug this whole, I just, yep. these people are. They went to that elaborate of a scheme, but then could never call to make their ransom because, you know, people were calling over the missing 26 children. My heart breaks for what these I children just went love through, but that. these guys are so freaking stupid. Because of no call waiting, they weren't able to get their <laughs> ransom. I didn't even think Demands about that. heard. Couldn't even get through. So we're just going to wait it out. We're going to take a nap and we'll call. Then we'll call back. Mm -hmm. They did not plan for that on their little algorithm plan. Like what goes wrong? Police don't answer. Busy signal. It wasn't on the list. Right. It was not. They didn't know how to handle a busy signal. They were probably like, guys, we didn't plan this one out. Let's take a nap. Yeah. Regroup. Right. And then we'll figure it out. We'll get through then. Uh Uh-huh. With the overwhelming evidence against them, Woods and the Schoenenfelds pled guilty to 27 counts of kidnapping for ransom and robbery, but they refused to plead guilty to the eight counts of bodily harm because those charges would send them to prison for life without the possibility of parole. So 16 months after their abduction, Jennifer Michael and some of the other children faced the kidnappers in court. They testified that in addition to the emotional trauma, they had suffered physical wounds like cut, bruises, and burns. The kidnappers were, Jennifer Hyde said, the kidnappers were sitting to my left at a table. I didn't want to look at them. I remember giving my dad my gum because I told them I was going to spit my gum at them. Oh, I wish she would have. I know. 
Just five weeks after being buried alive, the gutsy children of Chow Chilla and their bus driver, Ed, were hailed as heroes, and they were give, even given a trip to Disneyland together. Oh, that's amazing. Yep. And um, Ed did receive many awards, oh, good. by the way, for good. his acts. Mm-hmm. Don't stop Don't stop to help somebody, though, again. Ed. For sure. Please. For sure. Even if an award is possible. Yeah. So like, <laughs> please pass. Yes. Um, the kidnapper's lawyers appealed the finding of bodily harm and the appellate court overturned it. And while acknowledging the horrific nature of the crime, they stated that the injuries suffered did not rise to the level of bodily harm under the law. So their sentence Mm. for bodily harm was thrown out. Fred Woods and Schoenenfeld brothers were resentenced to life with the possibility of parole. Just six years after the kidnappings, kidnappings, the parole hearings began every time one of the kidnappers came up for parole it triggered all kinds of fear and trauma for the kids being kidnapped sure and the prosecutor jill kling had actually handled all the hearings since 2007 she said they sit in a room and it's not a large room with the kidnapper for all three kidnappers they have they have been to about 60 parole hearings to date it takes the victims back to the day that this happened, back to when they were five or ten or six or whatever. Uh-huh. She said she said the one thing that always sticks with me is that they will never know who they would have been or what their life would have been like had they never been kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Um, Larry Park said, by the time I turned ten years old, because he was only six when this happened, I was just an angry child. Growing up, Larry Park's anger often turned to rage. His parents, fearing that he was capable of violence, they placed him in a facility for youth offenders when he was 15. Mm. He said, by the time I was 21, I was using meth, I was smoking crack, I was doing acid, and I was just angry. That's so horrible. Yes. Marshall, Michael Marshall said, I could see years ahead of me, and then after the kidnapping, I could not see tomorrow. He said, "My the hero who never quit digging in the underground prison left Chowchilla to become a rodeo call, cowboy and lost his way. I went to bed at 18 drunk and hungover and blacked out and woke up at about 48, you know, with a hangover and blurry. That's so sad. Yeah. So there was some substance abuse issues for these uh, victims for sure. And the sheriff commented that the victims are the ones that are being punished and always will be. They watched helplessly as Richard Schoenenfeld was the first to be granted parole in June 2012. No, 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 no. no 36 no. years after the kidnappings. Three years later, James Schoenenfeld was paroled. So the Schoenenfeld brothers are out. And the prosecutor said as far as she knows, they have not been any kind in any kind of trouble and they have not returned to prison. But the same cannot be said for Fred Woods. Fred Woods was the ringleader on the outside of this ordeal and his behavior in the prison system is what will continue to keep him in the prison system. Okay, well, there's a good good note to end on this then. Yep. Today, Michael, Jennifer, and Larry have managed to find their ways and get on with living and are doing better. But it was a rough go for them. Oh, um, Especially with having to attend all these parole hearings and whatnot. Yeah. Larry Park, 49, owns a, a handyman business and volunteers as a pastor at a local church. His nightmares have finally stopped and he is sober. What's even crazier is that his sobriety was motivated by an epiphany about the kidnappers. He said, my resentment for them was killing me. Oops, sorry, you guys. I know you just heard that. <laughs> he, he said, my resentment for them was killing me. One night I was laying in bed and I said, God, help me forgive them. 
Larry met the man, the men, shook their hands, and forgave them. And that's how he healed. Oh, wow. Was by actually going, and there's pictures of them smiling together, even. Yeah. It's crazy. That's crazy. But that's what he needed for his healing journey. Mm -hmm. And he has stayed sober because of that. So that's good. Um, Jennifer Hyde said, I've had family and church family and coworkers that have piece by piece helped me put back my life. I want people to know that the little girl that was kidnapped and buried alive has managed to live a wonderful life. So Michael Marshall, who's 57, he's a husband, a father, and now a long distance trucker, tries not to think about the kidnappers. Um, what they put my mom and dad through is something that I can't, I can't forgive. Mm-hmm. He's been sober for eight years with the help of his family and his therapy dog, Blue. Oh, I love it. He said, I rescued Blue before he was a year old, and now he rescues me every day. Oh, damn it. That is so sweet. Yes. You're talking about a dog. you talk about a dog. Oh, the dogs. Cry. Yeah, the dogs get me every time. <sighs> yes. In 2019, Fred Woods was denied parole. He is eligible for parole again in 2024. And hopefully we'll likely to continue. So that's it. That's the kidnapping of 1976. I truly can't believe that they all survived given the the circumstances. Like all of these kids survived. I know. I really yes. can't believe it. I know. 26, um, uh, like the heat stroke, the just the fear and anxiety and what that can, mm-hmm. can do. No one. Yeah. And what was the plan if they couldn't get through? Just leave them for dead? Because I think that's, so. That's what makes me so mad that the parole was even an option. Yep. For exactly. The, for any of because them. they they weren't going to go down and just let those kids out. No, they dug a hole how twelve feet down or twenty feet down. Yep. And uh, no, twelve feet. Twelve feet. Okay. Yeah. They they weren't coming back to get these kids. Nope. No, I don't. Especially not if they couldn't even demand their ransom. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they took what, a nap. Right. Like, no, they didn't give Sorry. a shit about no. these kids. You could go to sleep. Give me a break. And those poor kids having to go to those hearings. Mm-hmm. I can't. Time and time again. It's so not Between fair. the three of them. Uh, I'm yeah. glad they all survived. It sounds like I'll just celebrate that yeah. they, they, they prevailed. The ending. I told you, I, I needed to tell you from the beginning that it was a happy ending because it gets intense. All and of it the could kids. Be, and mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. It could be really bad. So are you ready for a brain bath? Yes, please. All right. Let's do it. All right. This one is short, but But it's very sweet. sweet. Yes, yes. Here's the title from the New York Post. Florida man arrested for calling 911 after kitten denied entry into strip club. <laughs> There's some, so much. Some people are so inconsiderate. I know. Here's how it reads. Everett Legs Lages, L-A-G-E-S. How would you say that? L-A-G-E-S. Legs. Anyway. Yeah, just kind of go loud. loud. <laughs> you guys get it? His name's Everett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That guy. He was arrested outside of Emerald City Strip Club in Murdoch for repeatedly calling the emergency line to report that the strip club owner had refused to let his kitty into the jiggle joint. I love the jiggle joint. The jiggle joint. I want to name something that. I do too. Uh, Should my right knee just be called the jiggle joint? I don't know. Maybe Maybe my bra. Maybe. It's a perfect it's a place for a jiggle joint. That's so good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Hold on. I just got to step out of the jiggle joint. <laughs> uh, you're taking off your bra. Yep, I said what I said. Yeah, you know, whoever came up with this name, I my love hero. It. I love it. Um. So, yeah, so he, is, he was calling I, the emergency line because the strip. Well, I, I love that he's like, I want to see some strippers, but my cat's but coming my, in. My cat is not allowed to stay home alone. Yeah. <laughs> 
I have standards. I, I'm not a neglectful pet parent. I love that this was an emergency situation, right. too. Like, he needs to let my kitty into the strip club. Mr. Fuzzies what? can't come into the strip club. I need help immediately. Crookshanks. <laughs> but, yeah, so so that's your quick brain bath. I thought it was cute. And that I, was cute. I just wanted to know what he really wanted to Did he think that having the kitten would make the strippers like come to him more like they all oh, everyone loves a man with a, a pet with kitten. A kitty yeah yeah okay the kitty the kitty <laughs> oh god there's so much i so, can say so many things yes uh, all right well we hope you patreons enjoyed that little case and brain bath and thank you so very much for supporting our podcast and we will keep these bonus episodes coming yes thank you so much everybody all right Till next time. Bye. Bye. Oh, keep it curious. Oh, yes. Say that. Please keep it curious. Keep it as curious as you can. Yes. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye, guys.